to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lenahan. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Bonsoir. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, we are doing a remotely recorded Molecast for the first time ever. So this is a bit of a step into the unknown for us. We are still sitting around tables drinking beer and we have eaten some crisps. So <laughs> don't be too alarmed. Um, new things are happening all the time. Ireland have just won a test match in New Zealand. Uh, and I was uh, tempted to try and go back and listen to an old Molecast and see how how pessimistic I had been and said, I'll be happy if we win one match. I don't think don't expect us to win any. And we've ended up winning two, and we're kind of going into the last test, going, this is an enormous opportunity. We should win this. Um, I massively overestimated the the All Blacks, I think. Um, but let's talk about that second test in particular, even though we haven't talked about the first test. But the second test is, I think, a much more um, interesting, interesting thing to talk about. Um, we still had a very patchy second quarter of the game where we didn't take advantage of numerical superiority oh 100 percent uh it was uh this was the third game in a row where we seemed to stumble badly well, not we seemed to we did stumble badly in the second quarter after starting both game or the all three games well we started well against the mary in the first mary game we started well against uh, the all blacks in eden park and we started well in this uh second test in otago and then we had a number of uh, advantages in the second quarter and what I uh, when I rewatched it I, it wasn't as bad as I had first thought in the heat of the moment uh, but we failed to um, we failed to capitalise on their severely reduced numbers What do you attribute that to? Uh, like, like in the like in the other games a little bit of panicking uh i i think it's a tough place new zealand is a tough place to play or else more teams would have beaten them down there like it's a very short list of teams who have won a test match at all in new zealand there is an elite of world rugby france england australia south africa and now ireland um and i think that when you are Trying like I was, I was watching Moneyball uh, recently, for not for the first time, and I was uh, reflecting on it when uh, Billy Bean goes to meet John Henry in uh, in Fenway Park at the end. He goes, "The first person through the wall is always really bloodied," and it's like it's a big Ireland recognised it was a big chance when the uh, the Kiwis were down to thirteen, and I think they sort of fluffed their lines. I'm thinking in particularly of. Of the scrum that went to a James Lowe snatchy knock on in midfield. It's like trying to score off the first phase there rather than. And what I recognize complete validity of the attempt. You know, it's it's eight versus eight in the scrum. So it's seven versus five in the back line. But it was like 
let's go first phase. And I can understand why they did that because Ireland had a trouble actually dotting the ball down in in the in the first game. You know, any time that they they went into and tried to meet grind the All Blacks, you had two brilliant tackles from Rico Ioanni, one of which allegedly should have been uh, given a yellow card, and then two times held up both uh, Andrew Porter and uh, Jack Cohn, I think, in the end. So it seemed like we have to score clean against the All Blacks. We won't be able to batter our way over the line. Well, I think that's why they did it, but it certainly um, it certainly looked uh, a little bit panicked. I, I think that idea of scoring clean um, is, uh, I, I don't know, it, it's almost like at international level, your tries have to sort of have some aesthetic value to them because it's very difficult because the defences are so good and they're so physical and concentration is so high. It is very difficult to get over a close range because just guys find a way. Like you're 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 close enough to be scragged. Um, just the standard of defending is better. Mm. Whereas you can play Leinster against you know most teams in the URC and they will score because the standard of attacker is better than the standard of defender. Um, so I do think that you have to sort of engineer your tries more at at international level, which is probably one of the reasons the Kiwis have been so good for for so long is because they have that incisiveness. And um, there's also the very key fact that Ireland had only scored 10 points. And I made a comment on Twitter. They're only 10-7 up. And that that try that New Zealand scored towards the end of the first half or the very last play of the first half, maybe, had that real, like, uh, and, like, combined with the James Lowe knock-on, had the real, like, well, there is your fucking chance and you've blown it, feeling to it. And, like, we've had lots of very painful defeats to the Kiwis, like, in the last... <clears throat> In the last 10 years alone, uh, and not, not even going back to other sort of near misses in the past. So definitely felt like there was this sort of missed opportunity element of it. And then you you, you tie into it uh, something that we also want to talk about, uh, given that it's sort of better to complain about the refereeing when you've won than when you've lost. We definitely should have had a penalty try, like 100%. And um, I know you had made, you'd made some very key points about the list of things that were not awarded by paper. Oh, I couldn't get over. I rewatched the first half that same, I think it was the evening of the same day, and uh, I made a, a note of of decisions where he didn't award anything and didn't indicate anything, and he was either it was either called to his attention by a touch judge or by the TMO, and and the first one was the collision between Leicester, Fyinga, Anuka. And Mac Hansen, he just like it was play on as far as as paper was concerned. The TMO called it up, so that was the second one. The first one was the Papa Lee clear out tackle on Porter. That was Stuart Dixon, and then you had the the early tackle on Ringrose, which again was TMO. And then you had another one where we won a line out under under fierce competition, and Dan Sheehan made a great break, and and paper penalised them for crawling along the ground. Uh, except Dixon had called him back to say, no, listen, like, Brody Retallick jumped across the line and landed on our lifter. Like, paper wasn't going to give us any of those penalties. There's another very blatant one where we had a line out five metres out from their line on the on the near touchline, and we started them all around the rear 
and Cody Taylor pulled Josh Van der Feer out of them all five meters out onto our side and drilled them onto the ground. You know, like it's a law. Like that's not just like oh, that's rough play or something. Like you can't drag people out of them all. It's a law. This this fellow was acting like it was a demonstration video of what you can't do in a mall. And like that, there are five penalties for Ireland in one in 40 minutes of rugby, which paper didn't give. Four of them were given by other members of the refereeing team. Um, and he is, uh, I would say both, like he's, he's not a good ref. Having told he's a good ref for a while, he has, he has good points in that he's a target of, and he's fit, but his bad points are that he doesn't seem to recognise that rugby is in it. Like what you've and you what you've described as an existential crisis with regards to head injuries, he doesn't seem to have any uh, belief that there's a line between like hard play and brutal play. And then he also, which I think most damaging, he he feels that there's a team who's going to win it. And he referees them under one set of interpretations and a team that's going to lose and they don't get dick from him. Like, we won that game. The All Blacks were nominally down to 14 men because of a red card, a cast iron red, essentially playing against 15 with the way that the game was refereed. Yeah, it's absolutely spot on. What, what was the first thing you said about paper there? Well, the first thing I said was his good points. Them in that oh, he's no, no, sorry, yeah, uh, no, they, well, well, then I got them all three of them, yeah, that's absolutely spot on, Jacob Paper. Like that, that's as succinct and accurate a summary as you could get. He, he refereed, uh, he refereed one of the final matches in the URC, possibly like Leinster Glasgow or something like that. Um, the knockout match, and and he was very good. And I was there going, Ulster, God, Ulster, Ulster Monster, sorry. Ulster Munster. Ulster Munster. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it because he's very authoritative. And you can see that he's one of the best refs in the world because he's he sort of he acts like one of the best refs in the world just from um how quickly he makes, how good his communication. But he's an absolute big team referee. Like he's a terrible ref for Ireland because invariably, like particularly when we're playing France or England, um, because he doesn't expect us to win and he refs the match like that. And I think more to the point, he's you're allowed to get more cheap shots. Like, um, who's the All Black Centre who's going to Munster? Who? Uh, Malachi Fekatoa. Fekatoa. He was the ref in the Fekatoa match. Yeah. Um, the worst high tackle I've seen. Uh, Jared Hoyana had a bad one for Cardiff against uh, Rob Carney one time. But, like, that was the only one I've seen that compared to Fekatoa's decapitation of, of uh, Zebo. Yeah. And. Like that, 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 uh, but, but that's paper. Like that is absolutely paper. All of those things are so standard for him, and it's kind of amazing that he's he's still kept in the rotation. And maybe it's very, maybe it's very difficult to get dropped off. That if you've been up that high, and like I said, like he's, he's very authoritative, and you know, like the big teams win those big teams win matches more often than not. But um, no, he's he's. He, he he's got some serious blind spots and like like just just pure thuggery and he sort of thinks oh hey we're all tough guys this is a tough guy sport but you're just like nah mate you, you're missing the memo like it's well speaking of missing the memo I formulated a theory when I was having a chat after the in the in the aftermath of the game with a friend and uh, my theory went along the lines of like the the All Blacks are behind the curve now 
on the TMOification of the game. Uh, and just calling back to that game in uh, 2016, the return match in Aviva after we'd beaten them in um, in Chicago. And I think Robbie Henshaw went, went off on a stretcher after about 10 minutes from a Sam Kane, some kind of challenge. Some kind of challenge that will get him a red card these days. Yeah. Malachi Fekatoa did something. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't the only... Like, that was on Zebo who stayed on the pitch, but there was some another one, uh, someone else who went off on a stretcher in that game. Um, uh, I remember you uh, saying to me, "It's like the All Blacks are like they're fierce, cheap shot merchants, and they all, you know, especially when they've been wounded, they'll turn to physicality first. And it feels like when you used to go down on a tour to play in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, whether you've been watching the Super Rugby or not." There'd be or the tri nations or whatever. There'd always be these lads who'd be like, "Where have they got another another fucking school of these brilliant lads who can run like the Jesus and they have fucking incredible hands and they're just like, oh, they're six months ahead of us again." You know, you think that in November they were, you know, they lost a couple of games in the Northern Hemisphere, but now it feels like they're six months behind because everyone in the Northern Hemisphere has been playing the real laws, which are you can't hit people in the head, and the keepers are going like, "Oh." Come on, ref, use a bit of common sense. Don't show too many cards. Whereas everyone in the Northern Hemisphere, having had it happen to them and by their players, are now like, just, you know, how about we not hit each other? We try not to hit each other in the head. And I'm not saying that the Northern Hemisphere teams are, you know, angels in a, on, on any count, but more that they're totally, the the sort of the mentality is like, yeah, we just know we can't do this anymore. Yeah, we know, we know, like, there's there's one step where you're going, the the reasoning behind this law is because of concussion and and that's the players themselves realize I could be concussing out of this game. But then just to not like the, the next step down the line is like you'll get a red card if you hit somebody in the head. You know, you will hurt your team if you get hit somebody in the head. And in Super Rugby they've been playing this uh law variation where you 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 lose a player. You you lose the player for twenty minutes, and then he gets he somebody else can come on and replace him after that. Um, and you're going like, you can have that law of variation in your in your competition, yeah, but like that's not the law of the fucking game is played under at international level. So Angus Tawabat's one on on uh, Gary Ringrose. I got when um, when paper first saw it, he goes, "Oh, it's a change of direction. I don't think it's foul play at all." Uh, and now he did change his mind when he saw it again in slow motion with with a little bit of urging. And I like I'm not going to overgild the lily. Like it wasn't like the TMO had to bend his arm. He once he saw it in slow motion, he recognized like Jesus, that is actually just a red. And the nature of it is, yeah, you know, it's it's probably probably was accidental. But this idea that you can judge on intent is it's flawed, so flawed. Um, and it's it's belonging to it's belonging to an amateur. It's like the idea I was I was discussing today earlier with about uh, intentional knock-ons. Uh, my belief on intentional knock-ons is there's a law that shouldn't exist. There should it should there should be a, a law for intercepts which says like if it's a failed intercept, it's a penalty. You don't judge on intentional deliberate knockdown. Or sometimes it's just a knockdown. You go. You either get the intercept and regather the ball, or you don't. That way, everyone knows what what the story is if they fucking knock it on. Yeah, and I think it's 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 the old cricketing 
two doors into the pavilions, gentlemen and players, you know, that this sort of idea of intent is like, my God, he's a gentleman. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't knock it on. I think, I think that's exactly it. He was going for an interception. How yeah, dare it, you? How dare you question his honour? Yeah, that's what I mean. It's an amateur law. It's like when when players were going back to their jobs and it wasn't the main thing. They obviously care, but like, but now it's like this is my actual job. Did you did you mean to knock it on? Every single player is going to go. No, I meant to do an intercept. But then why didn't you fucking intercept it? <laughs> you know. So I was making the point to somebody that it's uh if you're if you're an attack and you have a two on one and the guy goes for the intercept and knocks it on, right? You are penalized for his defensive mistake. Your attack is stone dead, and you get oh, you get a scrum. Oh, thanks a fucking million a scrum. Like, what sort of reward is that? Useless. Yeah, there is a bit of chatter in the England game um, between Justin Harrison and Dave Flatman, who were doing a very kind of. I think like they're. I feel like they were trying to channel some of the. Um, Ashes commentary or something like that. Yeah. But there was like, oh, you know, palm towards the sun rather than the surf oh. or some fucking, um, which I could do without. But basically, I, I do agree that it's like either catch an intercept or you don't catch an intercept. Just um, make it simple. Just make it simple for the players. Make it simple for the ref. Now, uh, we have talked a lot about uh, an underperformance on the day from the referee. Let's talk about the uh, excellent performances that did come from Irish players. Um, chief amongst them, uh, Johnny Sexton, Peter O'Mahony, Ty Byrne for me. Yeah, for me too. Josh Underfleer, I'd add to that. Porter, obviously. Uh, and I thought Bundyaki did brilliantly off the bench. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to overstate how much Sexton brings to the team. He he made. I, I'm really struggling to think of any mistakes he made in that game, but also how how dangerous we look. His variation and how we attack and his authority over the game was amazing. Peter Manny had a very good game. I thought Van der Fleer also had a good game. But Byrne was was outstanding. The impact that he made in his, in terms of his carrying was phenomenal. He was like an additional number eight, uh, just with his ability to break tackles and run and to handle uh as well as you know pretty pretty useful performance in terms of his uh his ability out of touch one thing i'd like to give another uh credit to peter manny for is, is not the the 50 22 which was great but peter manny actually went in the second row uh when james ryan was in the pin and scrummaged behind the loose head and did a really good job wow Really, really good body shape, and our scrums were, were really solid when he was in there. Like it's a huge energy drain doing that, uh, and I was really impressed him. Van der Fleer's overall uh, performance, just like we've just come to accept this massive high standard from him, and I can't think in my entire life if I've ever seen a fitter, uh, a fitter player in Irish colours. His his fitness, his ability to produce, and you know, ninety percent energy in like seventy to eighty minutes is it's it's out of this world. And then, but a guy who came on and made, I felt just got us so much gain line time after time was Bundyaki coming off the bench. Uh, he really put in another big showing, and. 
you know, Aki and Henshaw have obviously played together a number of times, both for Ireland and for Connacht. And he's like we've we've always known, like in in Irish centres, there's the big three of Aki Henshaw, Ringrose, and in, in the in the second row, there's the big three as well of of um of Henderson, Ryan, and Byrne. And a guy who um I, I do feel we've we've missed Hendo uh, in this tour, but I think that um, sort of leaking into a later topic, I, I think that uh, Treadwell has been a guy who's, to use a cliche, has put his hand up in this tour. I felt that Ireland's kicking was very good in the second test. Um I know the the stats came out afterwards in the territory. I think Ireland were sixty three percent territory, and I think very con- very consciously, like they, they managed to find a lot of green space. They used different guys. Um, they used the two wingers to kick. Sexton's kicking was very good. Gibbo's kicking was good. Um, I that was probably the biggest tactical thing that that impressed me. And then after that. Um, yeah, tight burn, Ireland shape, the attack. Um, like there, there probably isn't the the cutting edge in Irish. I don't know. Is there the cutting edge in Irish domestic play? Like the Kiwis have. Like the Kiwis, you you give them a sniff, and uh, I mean they have an incredible ability to score and like you know run fast, hold their straight lines, finish off, but. Um, like I, I, I thought it was very good. I thought Ty Furlong had his right arm all over the place in the first test and really got himself in trouble with, you know, just given such a big unbalanced target on his lever on his right hand side. And he seemed to really address that in the second test. Um I just just by and large, um And our line it was was much cleaner, wasn't it? In this uh in this test compared to the the first test. Yeah. Um I think all all set pieces were better. Like it was it was um it was great. Like and the the confidence from having beaten New Zealand before really stood them. Like I, I think had we not beaten them before and it's it's funny, like you know, the all blacks would sort of talk about um they were on holidays in Chicago. I've never actually seen them quoted in that, so I'm, I'm going on hearsay that other people saying that Steve Hansen attributed. But like, once once that crack of door was open, we weren't really going back in it. Like, well, once we knew we could beat them, um, that that was enough. And um, look, that that confidence is great. And I didn't like. I have to say. I'm, I'm I'm recorded saying it like I didn't think we were going to win a match. I I might have been, um, almost certainly I was, uh, you know, downhearted with the way the season finished domestically for the Irish teams. With sort of you know Ulster and Munster really ran out of gas. Leinster beaten um, in you know two matches that they would have been firm favourites going into both that. You sort of go, oh, long season, momentum's gone. We're going down to New Zealand. Their winter time, you know, our front row, front five is weak. Um, we're going to struggle, but it uh, no, it's been it's been miles better. Well, um, to 
put a like a wider context on it, Ireland have lost against New Zealand and France away from home in the last whatever a year and a half, isn't it? Well, going back going back to the the summer tests. So this sorry, thirteen months ago we played uh, uh, Japan and then America. Full year, yeah, yeah. So we played uh, twelve tests and lost two of both of them away. Once against France, once against New Zealand. And I felt that, uh, this is where you're leading on to, I think, I felt that our, after our loss in the first test, which was, which was like, not a good look, you know, but some was described as a catastrophe and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, losing like 40 points to 20 essentially is like, almost like par for the course for a Northern Hemisphere team going down playing Eden Park. Look at every yeah. tour, like look at the statistics, like that's par for the course. And I felt that there was a not like a borderline hysterical reaction to that, but uh, like an actually hysterical reaction to that loss amongst not just people who who comment. Like everyone is, you know, sort of everyone's a member of the media now uh, in terms of social media, in terms of getting your message across to a multiple of people through a medium. Uh, but like there was like there was some really. Uh, not just harsh, but sort of unbalanced comments on on where Ireland were and and what the problems are in Irish rugby, and um, I feel that there's there's like a one of, one of the things which it comes across, and, and as I say, we've only lost two games in in twelve, but you get these comments that it's it's harder to get out of the team than in it, and. And you know, people asking for basically six changes every single time we play. There was an interesting quote from Farrell, which was only picked up by one report. I think it was Rory O'Connor in the Indo, uh, where he was asked about criticism of the team selection. He just said, Oh, that's irrelevant. Like outside talk is irrelevant. To me. I try and I try and I pick the best team and I try and coach the best team. I'm paraphrasing, but I don't have it in front of me. Um and it's something when when there weren't changes made between test one and test two. And my feeling was in that first test, like, like New Zealand haven't lost in 28 years in Eden Park. Like we're not going to be the team that breaks that. Like better teams than us have gone to Eden Park and lost. Uh, and I felt that there was periods, like quite long periods in that game where we played well. And it was really that second period where the wheels came off and the game was over at halftime. That's happened to other teams. It's happened to us before. Um, but that Farrell has a really good influence on this Irish team. Such a positive influence in how he uh, motivates players and seems to get them to, I'd say, believe in themselves as something, but like just play their strengths and don't worry too much. Like I, I felt that he was the key factor once we got into the pavilion at half time. Like we just conceded a try. We sort of faffed around for 10 minutes before conceding that like pos- uh, possession position and then the try. And then we came out a different the, the line. The line's breaking up there. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Even, yeah. even, even with them, um, even when we, we came back out, we still had 14 men. You know, James Ryan had been seemed been late in the second half, but we just seemed to come out with much more belief. So I think I think a lot of credit should go to him just for that refocusing 
um, of the team during halftime. Yeah, I, I've got a few things in front of me. Like I'm looking at the team. So it's actually, it's, I think they've lost what, two and 15 matches. So going back to the Six Nations in 2021, they lost the opening two against Wales away, against France at home, which is only 15, 13. And since then, um, it's only, what are you talking about? France away and New Zealand away. And that, yeah. that's it. Um, the other thing is just how few players have been picked to start those matches. Um, like the idea that we were going to go down to New Zealand and, um, and we've talked about this, you know, without Saxon, without, you know, Omani, without Keen Healy, with, you know, without a lot of older guys in order to, to blood, you know, Crowley and my other, and, you know, and every other, everybody else's pet, pet projects doesn't stand up to the scrutiny. And it's something that you've talked about, Ian, like, you know, that, that, that like all the, um, like the, the, there's a, there's a massive body of, of, of evidence there that, that people are very willing to discount about the sort of teams that Andy Farrell picks. Like he, he, he doesn't really pick, um, he doesn't like he, he say during the autumn time during the the three matches where we're playing Japan first and Argentina last, haven't beaten the All Blacks or Japan first warming up for the All Blacks. You look at his team selections for those, um, like there there's a huge amount of replication in the guys getting picked and the guys like the Japanese was. Um, like Porter, Kelleher, Furlong, Tyburn, James Ryan, Keelan Darris, Vanderfleer, Conan, Gibson Park, Sexton Lowacki, Ringrose, Conway Keenan. That was the team that beat Japan. Like there's there's no experimentation. Like this is if you're gonna play test match rugby for Andy Farrell's team, like you better be ready to play test match rugby. Like you're the, and okay, during the summertime when the guys are away with the lines, he picked a more experimental team, but like that that's the way that he picks. He also um, he just he he communicates very well. Like he doesn't seem to have a a Jekyll and Mister Hyde approach, where you know he's he's this really nice kind of man on the late late show, and then he's he's ripping into you on a Monday morning, and you sort of accept it because he's got these dual personas and able to be able you know in in order to be able to survive his life, he just he always seems to be Andy Farrell, and that transparency and I don't know, like that, that kind of, it's like, he doesn't give a shit what you think about him. He's, he's more confident than you are, you know, like he's yeah. just kind of, this is, this is what you get. This is what we're about. This is what I'm like. Um, it's almost like he's on his third career in rugby. Cause like yeah. he, was, he was a complete legend as a teenager yeah. in rugby league playing for like the best rugby league, Northern hemisphere rugby league team ever. And then he was a, then he made it like to the top of the game in England as a rugby union player. And now he's sort of having a, like, not that it's like, oh, this is all a bonus, but it, like he doesn't have to prove himself to anyone. Yeah, he has, <laughs> a, he has a lot of, I remember Joe Schmidt used that word about Paul O'Connell, a lot of mana. Like, he's, he's, he is Andy Farrell. You know, <laughs> he has that huge, huge body of work behind him. It's like, he's like Kevin Sinfield. You know, he's just this massive, big, hardworking, honest legend. And he is what he is. Uh, and I think players think that sort of, I wouldn't say drips off him. I think it sort of 
effuses from them, you know, and people people respond to it. You know, in, in the same way that, that that they respond to Buck Shelford or something like that. Um, like he's he's the, the real deal. Yeah, but he has to do it now. Like his the the fact that he was doing this stuff. Like Brian Robson wasn't a great football manager, despite he despite the fact he was Brian Robson. Like which yeah 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 such a such a head start. And like you you could point to a lot of guys like that. That um he. He he carries himself like that still, you know. Like even even if he hadn't this incredible body of work behind him, if he if he acted the way that he acts, like if he if he had the chutzpah to pull pull that off, I think people would still react to him um, in some sort of way. And he he talked recently, perhaps today, like about the leadership group and about. Um, Given that autonomy to players and like, you know, Tyke Furlong might have been a few years ago, ah, you know, leave me alone. I'm just here concentrating on my scrums. Whereas now he's he's sort of passed on that authority to the players and he really seems to believe it. Um, and he's <sighs> he's done a great job. And, you know, I go back to um even recently on that tour, on this tour, when you see how poorly the first team played against the Mary, and like I was willing to blame Mac, my cat, and my cat didn't have anything to do with them, but you're still going. There's still a little bit of spoofer here. That <laughs> just, I'm just not completely won over. Even though like the the body of work in front of me is far more substantial, um, no, I really have my doubts. And uh, no, I don't really have my doubts. I, I have lingering doubts, but again. The, look, winning winning one test match down in New Zealand is surpasses the expectations of what people do. And I think you probably you probably don't realise it until it's been achieved. Um just quite how it does surpass the expectations that you know, like you're counting down the last few minutes and you're going, Jesus, like they're not coming back from this. You know, yeah. like, there isn't a twist in the tail here, like going into injury time or any of that sort of stuff or you're hanging on or you're waiting for them to knock it on. It's like, it's actually, they've done it. Like, and yeah. to, to the extent that they're going into a match the following week, thinking that they can do it again. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. This shift in perception, uh, that the second half brought, cause even at halftime, I tweeted about like, so I just felt, I just felt that, you know, <laughs> I, I'll just slipping away. This fucking same old, same old, and then just the third quarter was so particular, so in particularly, so well executed. Uh, I just want to like say two things about Tyg Byrne. One, not offloading when he had two men to his left on that big charge, because he I, I don't know if he because he had the ball in two hands. I saw the like the lengthways re- replay. He had the ball in two hands and he decided, no, I'll bosh this guy and go into contact. And I got two guys here to set up the muck, uh, set up the the rook, and we have great field position. Rather than be like, we're, yeah, we don't have that kind of like lethal. Let's just keep it alive because we'll end up scoring. Mm. And in the second, the second try when he had the, he absolutely oh. steamrolled Jordy Barrett, who's the same size, who is not a small guy. Oh, he absolutely plows him and sets up absolutely brilliant quick ball against. I, I mean, I and then he's just a guy who. When he was playing for Clenethley, for Scarlets, people were going like, oh, he's signing for Munster. Can we pick him now? 
And then he, it just took him a while to get in the team. And there was whatever. And you know, like, can we pick him now? Like, he has stepped up every time he's asked to step up. He finds he can do it. And I just think he's so impressive. Yeah. It's so impressive how his his career arc is over the last six years. It's just uh, magnificent. And it, it's just, it's, he's such a good player. Um, we were talking think, earlier. Just on on that on that second test, that was one of the other things that really impressed me was how hard Ireland won. And again, we we talked about when you're down in New Zealand on the last podcast that it, like a lot of it is just physicality. Like that, if you're physical, then um, you give yourself a chance against these guys. But you have to be as physical or more physical than they are, because um, if you're not, you'll just get absolutely blown away. And if you take that away from them. Then you're you're fine in terms of the um, in terms of the tenor of the trip, and I, I don't know how much of the sound you were able to listen to. One of the things that really got me today and tickled me was after Larmer got yellow carded, and um, you know he, he sort of scragged the guy, but he didn't fall over, and he got done for yellow card and a penalty try, and I was yeah. like, whoa, woohoo, like. Whatever about like uh, a yellow card, which I think is legit. Like Larmer was right on top of him. The idea that this guy was going to canter in unopposed, like Larmer was there, like he he was the tackler. And the Kiwi commentators are going, "Oh, this is the difference." You see, Sexton didn't pass. That's oh, why it's not a penalty try. I love this conversation. I was there going, lads, if you're explaining, you're losing. Like, yeah. stop talking. We're we're obviously in your heads. Like you you obviously know that should have been a penalty try. And well, Sixton didn't pass. Like, you know, that's the difference. And you're sort Gav, of going, no, Jacko Piper is refereeing this. If Sexton passes into Ringrose, who's being tackled before the ball, you're likely to not even get a penalty and just throw away possession here. Like, that, that's what get a penalty from this is I was uh this is I love this conversation. Percy, uh Ringrose was tackled, right, before Sexton passed. So Sexton was passing to somebody on the ground nominally there, who couldn't play the ball. So your man's explanation, this Byzantine argument is that Sexton should have passed the ball to a guy on the ground who couldn't play it so that Yako Piper would give him a penalty try when Yako Piper didn't even call a fucking penalty at the time. And that's why it's not a penalty try. You can't write a law for penalty tries. When you look at the the law book uh, on Rugby uh, World Rugby's website. Now, it's not the complete one. There's actually a separate PDF which goes into much more detail. But all it says about penalty tries is, I have to paraphrase this, I don't have it in front of me, it's like, in the referee's opinion, it's awarded where an act of foul play prevents a probable score. You can't write all the situations where a penalty try would have been scored because, firstly, there are so many of them. So that's practically impossible. But it's Physically impossible is somebody remembering all those situations. So all it comes down to is the referee's opinion on whether a try would have probably been scored. Jacob Piper wouldn't even see a fucking penalty there. His decision is the one that counts. And his decision was Ireland probably wouldn't have scored that try because they're Ireland. And it's basically because Jacob Piper is a dog. So this thing is like, oh, the reason that Sexton didn't give a penalty or wasn't awarded or a penalty try so he didn't pass, he was going... There's nothing about passing or anything like that in the laws. Like, there's nothing in the laws about a penalty try except the referee's opinion that a try would have probably scored without the foul play. But you're absolutely right about that. Like you say, they're saying, oh, that's why this isn't a try. And look at Ireland. Oh, they're wasting time at scrums. You know, look at this, having a conference before the line out. Like, 
You know, it's not like the little shamrock anymore where the French used to pat us on the head. Oh, the little shamrock. Our brave cousins. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, though, like, like you said, the crack started in 2016. But it wasn't inevitable, and there were there was talk on the uh, forty two about like the brands over you know built over hundred years. It certainly wasn't a brand, I would say, but like the the mystique of the All Blacks built over hundred years disappearing. It's like there's been a, there's been poor all, all black teams before. Yeah, they got to a lot of like they got knocked out in a lot of World Cups. I think that was a thing before talking about us getting knocked out in quarterfinals. The World Cup was a thing. I was talking about how New Zealand had underperformed, bottle or whatever you want to call it. There's been poor all black teams before. They've been and they come back, and so the idea that uh, the All Blacks won't be like the most feared name or like the default greatest team in rugby, world rugby is nonsense. But we should start moving on to our second topic: the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've been on the Ireland team for forty-five minutes. What I was going to say to you, Andy, was that this current All Blacks team reminds me of Grizz Wiley's team that got beaten by the Aussies in the nineteen ninety-one World Cup. Do you, do you think that's accurate? Um, um, kind, yeah, kind of, kind of, um, I see that team was older and was within the, like the four year cycle of, and like that, that team had been brilliant in 1989 and then by, by 91 was kind of fallen over. And then like in 93, the Lions toured there and by 93, you're sort of looking at it going, geez, like this. This isn't a very good All Blacks team, but they were good enough to beat the Lions. Um, Kansas. So I wouldn't. Yeah. I, d- I don't think. I don't think there's a. Like, I wouldn't say they're exactly the same. I think that. Um, I think Graham Henry was a much. Um, more influential All Black coach than probably is even given credit for because um, they've always had that bit of a uh, hairy arseness about them. And, uh, you know, they talk about the cheap shots, but also like just the, the toughness and the, and the physicality and the boozing and, you know, the kind of the boys will be boys um, mentality. Whereas with, with Henry, they, you know, like dickheads don't make all blacks and you know the no dickhead policy and good people are good all blacks and just like what what henry did culturally um which is so fuzzy and such a woolly term and so so overused but like also so deep and so powerful um was probably underestimated because i remember we talked about it a few times that like i couldn't believe how good new zealand were when Carter and McCall went because I thought like these guys are irreplaceable. But if anything, they got better. And I, I'd make more. Um, they had such confidence and such hardwired good habits after the go- after those two all time greats left that they they could almost get. It almost seemed like they got better. Whereas Ireland are confident on this tour and you can see the impact that it makes. Um, whereas New Zealand aren't, um, they, they, they kind of lost their way. I would say that the, like Foster is, Foster's a provincial sort of coach in 
like the the big P meaning of the word in the same way that Wiley was. But like the difference is Wiley had been an all black. Like, you know, Wiley was Wiley had been a tough, hairy arsed Canterbury forward. Um coached Argentina, you know, so if anything, Wiley was more urbane, but you know, like it was um and for a lot of it, like that's the New Zealand coaches, like that's the archetype in yeah. a lot of ways. You know, like can you get the like Kieran Keane in Connacht? Yeah, like Kieran Keane, but even like when John Hart was there, like John Hart was an urbane uh Aucklander and everybody else is a country guy. And if you're from the South Island, you're even more of a country guy. And, you know, like there is, there is that kind of struggle in, uh, in New Zealand rugby in the same way that there is an Irish rugby with, you know, Leinster are the lady boys and Munster is the font of all good things, except when it isn't, you know, and you can keep kind of kidding yourself with all that shtick because, because it plays well in the provinces, but, you know, like the reason John Hart was there cause, was because Auckland were miles better than everybody else and were the backbone of the All Blacks, you know. So, um, and even before that, like there were, like the All Blacks were brilliant in the 60s and they weren't great in the beginning of the 70s. Um, like Colin Meads played for a New Zealand President's 15 that beat the All Blacks and like it was, it was kind of like an All like the fact that a, a scratch team could beat the All Blacks is kind of pretty worrying. So this idea that like they've been constantly dominant for a hundred years is it's 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 not it's not hundred percent accurate. Like they, they've had sort of they've definitely had periods where they've fallen off. Yeah. So, but I was thinking of like my my opinion on this is very firm. I think Foster's going to get the sack. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think Sam Kane is is also going to get the sack after this series. Yeah. I don't think Sam Kane will ever. Don't think he'll even play for the All Blacks again after this. Uh, and they'll get in Robertson rather than Joe Schmidt. They'll just say, "Listen, Razor, they'll be mad if they don't get Robertson." Yeah, they'll just go, "Razor, we really need you. Now we want you to be All Blacks coach." And there'll be a bit of. I, I think that's definitely going to happen. Like what, what I will say about about Foster is, he had one unbelievably pity. Pity's not a great word. It doesn't sound like what it means. It sounds like sort of a weak and shitty word, but it, it's apt. You know, he what's his job as an international coach? Win today, win tomorrow. That is so terse and well put. Like that is your job as an international coach. It's not like develop players, build depth. It's like win today, win tomorrow. You see what happens when you don't win. Like Foster's seeing it now. You just get your fucking throat torn open. Uh, but he won't. I don't think he's going to last much longer after this series. Maybe, maybe the maybe the the rugby championship or whatever it's called. I don't actually see that. I think he just gets sacked. Certainly, if he loses the home series to Ireland, I think. Oh, then he's definitely gone. Yeah. I think he's sacked anyway. Like my feeling is that the All Blacks have potentially a very, very good backline with the talent that they have in Aaron Smith, Barrett, Mawonga, uh, Rico Yoani, Will Jordan. Um, who's uh, Jordan Barrett? Yeah, uh, I, 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 I find the I find like 
the fact that they play only one of Moonga and Bodie baffling. Oh, so do I. Like to pick Jordy Barrett, like who's like a phenomenal talent, but like if he's, I think he, you could you could fit him in on the wing. No, and, I, I and think play he... Bodie at fullback. But rather, like honestly, if you're just picking the best, like two out of the three players, it's Moonga and Bodie over. Yeah, but I, I think like, uh, you know my opinion. Like I, I love the tall goal kicking fullback. Like I can't think of a better a fullback than like more than Jordy Barrett. Um, I think I think where they fall down is like I don't think at the moment they have a good front row. I think that their middle row, their second row is is aging. Now, not that they're not still really good. They no, carry the, them they've down. had those same two guys. When like they face a, a a second row crisis in 2016, and um, Scott Barrett scored with the biggest on debut on debut yeah. I've ever I've ever heard. Uh, but it's still the same two guys do uh, are the second row, and they've been the second row for eight years. And Sam Whitelock's second most capped all black of all time, and. Uh, uh, Brady Talek is just shy of 100 caps. And I know they have as uh, Dalton Papa Dalton Papalihi fills in there and um and they have Scott Barrett. But they they haven't produced another White Lock or Italic, it seems like, in the in the intervening eight years. At all. No. No. No, definitely not. And yeah, look, I I think it's just like they were they were so good and so much of it is driven by McCall, like the standards that McCall set and the willingness of guys to work really, really hard and to be as good as they as they could be when they came in, um is and was just just incredible. Um, very, very hard to replicate, very hard to, very difficult. You know, like the, the, there was guys kind of before Retallick and Whitelock who had the characteristics of like they were good athletes, they were six, seven, six, eight, they were, they were good rugby players, they were hard guys, but they, for one reason or another, like they, they didn't last as long. I mean, injuries more often than not are like couldn't, um, but sometimes guys just like, can't concentrate on it, like can't can't bring themselves to the standards that are required day after day after day after day. And I think, you know, the risk of repeating myself again and again and again, um, to be all tautological about it, when you watch McCall's movie, you go, it isn't necessarily the heights that he scaled. It was the fact that he did it again and again and again and again. No distractions, no, no frustrations, just unyielding, unwavering concentration to go to bed at the right time, get up at the right time, eat the right thing, not eat the wrong thing, don't drink the wrong thing, and train at the right time all the time. No distractions, no, no nothing, and how that sort of permeates into everybody else and just how difficult. It's like, it's like living like a monk. It's funny, I, I, I've been thinking more in about how this all black team has like a few like bona fide bona fide absolutely 
incredible top class players like Bowden Barrett in particular and Artie Savea uh, and like Brad Utalic maybe not at the top of his game at the moment but like him and Whitelock are both um, incredibly excellent locks I, I kept on thinking about how it's more like the supporting cast is in like in those absolutely brilliant like say 2015 team like those centres like the way Matt Anonu became so incredibly rounded as well as being like ferocious yeah like he became this like cerebral kicking center as yeah. well as me and you had conrad smith and you had uh boone smooth and like i just i just Sonny feel like Bill williams on the bench i feel like i just feel like it's it feels like there's a a bigger drop off in the in the supporting cast than there is in the the high level players oh, that's my opinion completely like i um i feel that for example you've got harry parry parkinson this uh huge second who's got a he picked up a catastrophic knee injury at the end of last year. And I was sort of expecting to, like I expect that he's not even an all black. Like he hasn't been capped by the all blacks. And you're going, this guy is an unbelievable physical talent. And then the other fellow who's the greatest under 20s player I've ever seen, Akira Yoani, who is just like refuses to fucking grow up and has like scores loads of tries for the Auckland Blues. Uh, and it's just like, why are you not the All Blacks number eight? So that so that already survey can play can play seven. You know, it's like then you would have like almost a great back row. Never mind the moment they have a fucking ordinary back row. Like when Olivon came back in for the French team at the weekend, I didn't play the full back row with Aldrich and everything. But like I was looking at the the French back row during the Six Nations, going like Cretan, Jelange, and Aldridge, like. That's one third of a good back row. And then with Olivon, like all of a sudden the balance shifts to being like, oh, now that's almost a great back row. And you're just looking for one other player. And then you're going, that is like one of the best back rows France have ever had. At the moment, it's like, it's like Artie Savea. I think Papali is actually okay. Like not a bad player, but he's like, he's like a Ron Cribb or something like that. And he's not like a great all black. I give I give you another I give you a name of another guy and he's like he's six years older than Brody or Italic, but it's a guy called Jeremy Trush. Jeremy Trush was yeah. the he was the the world under nineteen player of the year in two thousand and four. He's he's a meter ninety eight. He's one hundred and eighteen kilos. Like and he was a guy who played he he played during the McCaw era. So if there was ever anybody like at a time when you should have been able to come in and just get dragged along. Like Jeremy Trush is is an example of a guy, but he's also human. Like I am not sure exactly what the Jeremy Trush story was, but I mean, there's a guy who at under nineteen, um, not only was he a great rugby player, he was also a big fucker. You know, like he he, he had that stuff that that people didn't have, um, and he still couldn't become a great. Like he still couldn't become even like a, an all black fixture, getting dragged along with the rest of them. And so I. It's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. And they're just off it. And they need the like, again, like you go back, to, they need the like a Scott Robertson up there because um, Foster's just too ordinary. You know, like he, he might be a very good rugby coach, but he, he doesn't come across in media. Like he doesn't have pop. And you're just like, that ain't gone. Like, it's not enough. It's, it's not going to cut it. You know, like you, 
I'm not saying you have you have to break dance, but it doesn't yeah. hurt. I'm not saying that you have to have played in France and speak French, but it 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 doesn't hurt because you're asking guys to perform at such a high level. And you could see it with um what's our man? Um the the, the guy with Razzie. Yeah. You see when, when Razzie's on that documentary and he's addressing the Springboks and you see like what a good communicator he is and like how, how much of himself is on display and how he commun like how he connects with the guys. Because you're going like, look, Razzie's a white guy from the belt who, who did his military service along with the rest of the Afrikaans and the Boers. And he's there like connecting with the black guys. And like Razzie's from a different era. Mm. Um, but he's able to do it because he's like he he has that big character and he's he's got that communication skill and it's very demanding because you've got a lot of guys in your panel and it needs to be more than just one person yeah but if it isn't like if, if those guys aren't there you you've got to carry the show and you know like in a similar matter like Farrell seems to have the the character to be able to do it presence where, that's what it is presence Presence and and like Eddie Jones has it, you yeah. Know? And Steve Hansen had it, you know. I, I, yeah. I think often of Steve Hansen and his very sardonic wit, and he's not often like being voluble about things. And then when he opens up, you just see this giant rugby brain unfolding. And it's like like Bill Hayden said of of uh, Jim Brito that quiet presence that commands. You know, Foster does not have that. He just looks like, oh, I'm getting hassled, and I don't like it. But even again, like going back to something said, like there, there was a, an Amazon documentary, Flying the Wall, about the All Blacks in when Hansen was in charge. And it struck me how quiet the dressing room was. And it was, it was all Hansen. And I was looking at this going, this isn't like the story that gets told outside New Zealand. Like the story that we get told is how much the players lead, how much autonomy they have, the leadership group. And you're looking at it going, this is Sam Whitelock and Kieran Reid. Like these are the guys who are bone and Ben Smith. Like these are the guys and Aaron Smith. Like these are the guys who are uh, piping up. Everyone else just sits there going, "Oh, like hope he doesn't pick on me." You know, <laughs> he used to be a cop. <laughs> my yeah, am I going to get locked up here? So even even when Hanson was there, I think that that was declining and. <sighs> It's, it's it's a tough balance to do because you need to shut the fuck up and you need to get guys to step into the gap. And invariably what happens when fellas step in is they say the wrong thing and you're sort of going, oh God, like, I, no, no, I need to correct them. But you're sort of going, no, 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 like you, you need to let them. But it's difficult because, I mean, they're, they're talking like something, you know, talking absolute nonsense because like their head isn't in the chopping block here. Like, you know, you go back to what you were saying about winning, winning the next game, winning the game after that, or whatever the quote was. Like the, the, when you're the coach, like that's what happens. When you're some, when you're a player, like in your twenties, that's that's not the gig. Like you're a hero. You're a hero. You like you're not responsible for this stuff here. Or you might be responsible. You're not accountable. Like it's nah. So it's it's very difficult to do as a coach to to give up that authority. Do you? Because you've coached uh, a lot of teams and and played played and coached at the same time in some teams. And you've also done tours and stuff like that. So we were talking earlier about like being on tour, what you learn from being on tour and the difference that 
the team that played today, which is very similar in personnel, against the team that played the first game against the Marys. Like <laughs> my 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 big my big question is what were the learnings? Um tackle. <laughs> And uh, don't be afraid to play territory. Um, if guys train together, they'll get better as a team. But the, I think the big and I, I can't overstate confidence. And you're like, this is like this is vitamin C. This is like how do you like winning the second test? Even though very few, if any of those guys were involved, looks like it was such an incredible buzz for the entire touring group, the entire hotel. Like they played that second test in Dunedin. They all traveled up. They move hotel. They're in planes. They're in buses. They're all together. They're training. They're in the team room. They're going out for their coffees. They're having their meals. And they all like had a pep in the step. So, I mean, like the, the there's a number of guys like Kieran Treadwell. I thought Kieran, I didn't have Kieran. I'm pretty sure I didn't have Kieran Treadwell picked to my touring team. I was like, Pick um, Thomas Ahern and pick Big Joe McCarthy, and then bring the other guys like bring the big three of Hendo Ryan Byrne. Kieran Treadwell was Ireland's best player. Well, arguably Ireland's best player. Um, and I think notable just for the fact that like he just wouldn't have been mapped. You would have said, Who's going to play in the second row? Baird and McCarthy will play in this one. And then you forget that Treadwell went. And here's like here's Treadwell who's subbing most of the time for Ulster. Here's a guy who, frankly, I'm shocked, is in the Irish Six Nations panel. And you're waiting for, it's a pity that Thomas Hearn isn't playing. John McCarthy has potential, but he's just too young. He can't do it. He's almost there by default. Or Ryan Baird is injured. And, um, but like we know that like Treadwell's a very good athlete. Um, and like he has the frame, like he's he's big bloke. He's a he's a high hurdler. He's fit and plays a lot of rugby. Like he he's fit like Josh van der Fleer. and like hopefully he can sustain that sort of form through confidence and standards. That 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 means that he goes back and he just goes past Alan O'Connor, who's um who um ah uh, the coach of Ulster. Dan, yeah, um, and surpasses him. The other guy, and sorry, I'll, I'll I'll let you take on. And I was amazed when I saw people say so. Commenters in the forty-two, and I was like, like, are people fucking watching this? That when Ringrose, that Ringrose is injured, and they're like, I think you'll go like you know, does he go with a six-two split? Oh no, there's a gap. Like you know, the Bundy's gone to play, so Frawley can bench beside Casey and. Joey Carberry and I'm there going you're fucking kidding me like <laughs> this was this was an audition as far as I'm concerned and I'd be really interested to see which team you know which bench he picks this was an audition for Frawley to um, basically play play for an Ireland team at number 10 which he may never have gotten again if it if it went poorly for him um, and then if you just think about the skill set that he brings, being able to play 10 and 12 and arguably 15, you need somebody who can cover second center and wing. So you pick either Keith Earls or Jordan Larmer. You'd probably pick Keith Earls. 
to be on the bench. But it doesn't make any sense to pick Joey Carberry and Kieran Frawley, who cover 10 and 12 and at a push 15. Um, but Joey's defence is so bad that like, you, you can't reasonably expect to play him at 15. And then you've got Bundy and Robbie. Like, you don't have Ringer that you can push out to the wings um, like you've had in previous instances. So, like, Frawley's performance today was huge for Irish rugby. Do you think that big? Yeah. Okay. Because I think he goes from having played one match for Leinster at, at number 10 this season to coming back. I would hope he comes back as Ireland's second choice out of half. Yeah. It's one thing which which I want to discuss is that uh, Andy Farrell's approach to selection. And, and two players are important there, which you mentioned, Treadwell and Frawley. It's like sometimes um, I think people's view is is unrealistic. It's like, uh, oh, he's not first choice for Ulster or he's not first choice for Leinster. Ergo, somebody should be ahead of him. So we're going, Andy Farrell has about between 160 and 170 players in his squad, i.e. all the Irish qualified professional players playing in the country. So Dan McFarlane prefers Alan O'Connor to Treadwell and he prefers uh, Marty Moore to Tom O'Toole. But this isn't Dan McFarland's team. This is uh, Andy Farrell's team. And Farrell prefers Treadwell and O'Toole. And he basically prefers Brawley to uh, to Ross Byrne, or else Ross Byrne would be in this. So how how it pans out going down the line and going into the next season, where which I think there's going to be a big emphasis from the Irish management on getting everything lined up for a World Cup tilt, maybe at the expense of the provinces, maybe at the expense of certain players' egos, is going to be really interesting. You know, do you end up with Frawley just Leo being told to play Frawley at 10? Um, Dan McFarland being told to play Kieran Treadwell and uh, Tom O'Toole more often? Uh, which I could see happening, to be honest. Well, this is this brings me to the kind of like tangentially related point that I texted to you guys last night, and I said Charlie uh, Ngatai and Ngatai Natai. I just I I was uh, for some reason thinking about him and going like he's a he's a twelve, and I've been thinking like why did we sign a twelve? And it's like he's going to allow. Frawley to play more out half next season. That's my reading of the situation. That's my reading of the situation based on why Lancer will outsign Michael Ala Alatoa. It's like you can sign a tight head where Ireland could do with all the tight heads they can get because you're moving Porter his head. Lancer allowed sign Charlie Natai as a almost certainly solely a 12 because Andy Farrell is going to tell Leo to play Kieran for all the I I didn't think that so much at the time, but having heard it repeated to me just there, I think you're right. Um, I think they were probably hoping that it'd be really interesting to know what 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 teams he was planning to pick before he went down because. 
Harry, my understanding was that Harry was going to start the first Mary game. Mm. And I think he wanted Harry to play. Um, and it just, I, I was even interested by who came on. Like the fact that Carberry came on while Larry was still in the pitch. And it was like, it, it made more sense to win that match that you put Mac Hansen on. But you're looking at it going, no, no, we need Mac Hansen at the weekend. He's not going on mm. unless it's absolutely essential. Whereas Joey's kind of expendable here. Um, now, Joey, and I, I was trying to second guess it. Like, was 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 Joey? Should Joey have got the game time today to give him a chance to play into it, or do they want to sort of wrap him up in cotton wool? But I, I genuinely think Frawley played well enough today to get himself a place on the bench because Farrell must have question marks over Carberry full stop. Like Carberry's defence has been really bad on this tour and he shows glimpses but lacks authority at out half. Whereas it was funny, like after Coombe scored his try, Frawley went over to congratulate him and get the ball. And you're there going, Jesus, Frawley's fucking big. Yeah. <laughs> like Coombe. Coombs a big man, and you see the stats. I mean, Frawley is six foot three, but you see him standing beside Coombs, and you're going, Frawley is a big unit. And I, I think going back to like Tom O'Toole and Treadwell, Tom O'Toole and Treadwell are better athletes than Alan O'Connor and Marty Moore. And I think if you want to play international rugby, Farrell is realistic enough to know that being a little engine that could in international rugby. Is just a little engine that can't like it. It, it ain't, <laughs> ain't going to. Oh, what's going on with your lights? Did my laugh turn your lights weird? Yeah, no, no. I switched the light on. I'm not sure if my camera is gone. Like, or do I just do I just go back into the glow? I might just sit here in the dark with a the drink. There we go. Maybe that works. So we were talking about Frawley, or not Frawley, we were talking about Carberry and um, how th- there was, an, ele- there was an, uh, an incident that happened in the, in the second test where um, I think the Kiwis knocked it on. or the, Anyway, the ball was flung out to him in sort of under pressure and he tried to punt it up the pitch late on in the game, plus uh, over 70 minutes. And I just... I just knew, like whatever, my, in my rugby water, I knew it was going to get blocked down. It did get blocked down and it, fl- it sort of flung to one of our players and I think we... Stars, yeah. Yeah, ended up kicking it up the pitch or something like that. Uh, and he's just, like, Joey's playing with very little confidence and, like, it's <laughs> what he needs is to be dropped to confirm all his worst fears. <laughs> to be like, Here's a gauntlet, Joey. Go down and go and pick it up. Show us that you're worthy of being the second string out half. And show us that you're worthy of um being the man to replace Sexton when he's done, or being the man to replace Sexton should there be some kind of, you know, injury shit show at the World Cup or in any in next year's Six Nations. Because he has had it handed to him, it seems like. Having been the you know bright shining star at at, at Leinster. And then made the move down to Munster and had such a intermittently good time of it and then an intermittently very bad time of it with injuries and form and defence and getting back up to fitness and trusting his body and all that. And it's like sometimes 
the answer of no is is better than worrying about maybe it feels like i i think that's yeah i think that's well put like i would i would just drop him um because he's he's been uh like his some of his some of his play in this tour has been you know terrible frankly and um he's capable of much better there's certain things which i can't believe like i remember being encouraged when larkin was announced as monsters coach because i was thinking like jesus like there's there's quite a few similarities here between larkin and and carberry firstly that both were 15 slash 10s and and both are skillful players and sort of weaving mazy runners who like larkin emerged to be like a world-class could have maybe maybe Australia's best ever, probably second to Lina. Um but like Carbon just does so many out half basics. Like I, I don't think he, he does them well. There's a first one is like, geez, don't fucking take people outside, don't take their space. Stop running across. Present a threat, even if it's not a fucking running threat at at, at the game line, present a threat that you're going to straighten. Um, his goal kicking is good, mm-hmm. you know, which which I do like. I think his kicking from hand is ordinary. I think his kicking from hand is Madigan level, which I would actually say for an hour and a half is less than less than good. And his tackling has gone from being like somewhere he was small but made tackles, technically good tackler to like his his tackle attempt in the first test against uh, the Gus, whose name I don't remember the sub number eight was appalling. He scored on debut. On debut. The one against Jordy Barrett wasn't good either. It was poor. Um, so I just think, yeah, drop him. The worst thing that's happened, you know, that's the worst fear is confirmed. And it's not the worst thing that's ever going to happen to you. I don't I don't think there's anything new there. We sort of we've been beating that, that drum for a while. I actually, I, I found Leo's comments because I, I made note of them when... Uh, Katai joined, so I'll read him out. And Leo said, I first came across Charlie back in 2014 when I visited the Chiefs late on in my playing days as I was preparing to make the transition into coaching. Even then, as a young man, you could see the influence he had on that Chief squad, and that influence, I think, has only increased over the years with Leon most recently. He's a New Zealand international, and I believe would have been capped far more only for his injury issues, which were well documented at the time. But he has been Back playing now a number of years, and you could see even in the Challenge Cup final in Marseille just how influential a player he is. The important element for us, I think, when you look at some of the experience we are losing out of the environment this season with departures and retirements, is that Charity will be an ever-present figure around UCD and will be a great asset to our younger players in terms of his leadership and experience. We look forward to welcoming him and his young families to Dublin very soon. So I think there's an element of an ease in a sea with signing. Um... I think there's, I think, uh, I, I, I don't know with the, with the fraudy thing. Like I, I, I did say, agree with you. I think the fact that they let Connor O'Brien go, I was kind of surprised at, I don't know what Connor's injury history was, but I, I thought he was, I thought he was a, I thought he was a guy who could, you know, really, I thought they might've kept him. I thought somebody else might've picked him up. One of the other provinces. Mm. Um, and, Anyway, like they, they made that decision, and I think with Goodman coming in, you do kind of wonder with Leo how much of his decisions have like a, an option kicker to them, and where he gives 
he gives himself the opportunity to bring back a guy to coach in years to come because Goodman's going to be the backs coach next year, the attack coach rather. And, you know, he was he was okay when he was there and he could play every week. But you kind of go and he's also got an affiliation with Leinster. Like he knows what it's like to live in Dublin. He was probably given more of an opportunity to play in that team, given his playing ability, looking back on it. Dan, like he wasn't a superstar, but he's he's good for the organization to have. And I'm I kind of want like Gatai is a better player than Andy Goodman was. Mm. Um, like he was uh he, he was very good for Leon when we played him a few years ago. Like he was a real handful. Um now he's obviously a bit older, but um like he, he'll bring a lot more to the pitch, you know. But I, I think having that kind of character and that rugby brain and that like that that influence around like I think they're all like they're all big things for for Leo and I think the fact that there's more competition there at 12 like and Robbie Henshaw is going to be coming back into that team for for big matches means that like it's going to be tough for Frawley to get matches at 12 um but look his his world might have shifted on his axis I, I just thought that um I thought he kicked very well today, both out of hands and from the from the tee. And he he showed up for the ball a lot. I thought Stuart McCluskey's pass as well for Larmer oh, was super. Beautiful. Because you're kind of going, oh, we're going to meat grind these guys, you know, like, give it a Coombs. Every time I got in at five metres, I was like, give it a Coombs. Give oh, God. And Don't shout at my computer being like, give it to Coombs. His fucking top trump, like, three metre carries is 100. It's like, Coombs is amazing. When and the commentator said about it as well. He goes, oh, you know, he scored 15 tries for Manchester. And we used to criticise New Zealand guys that they only knew, like, Paul O'Connell and Brian O'Driscoll. That was it. Like, they didn't know anybody else. Their guy scored 15 tries for Manchester in 2021. All of them were for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, more an Aussie accent. But I, I think even the fact that he, he he knew about it and he goes, oh, I think he did score in the first half. But, you know, we couldn't say. Yeah, I like that, actually. Yeah. I, I thought there was, this is great. Like there's, That, to me, spoke of respect. It was like, nah, nah, like the, this Irish team, like we... You can't give them the charity tries anymore, like because yeah. they're beaten by enough already. And again, I think that was very positive for the guys coming on tour. I was kind of impressed with Niall Scannell. Like I, I said it after the last time, I do hope the Munster guys are much fitter this season. I, I I think their fitness has been very poor, um, for for what they need, um, and. You know, I thought Scannell had a pretty good game today. Again, like he he showed up for a lot of ball, lost his first two lineouts, but I think himself and Coombs aren't as fit as they could be, and I don't think Scannell is going to put pressure on on like Sheehan or Kelleher, but I think he can just be a better version of Niall Scannell. Yeah, I, like I from from my opinion, like he's 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 taken his chance to definitely overstep. Uh, Dave Heffernan, who's always been there or thereabouts in an Andy Farrell squad, whereas Scanlon has never been there or thereabouts in an Andy Farrell squad. So the next step on from that is like, where does he rank against uh, against uh, Robbie Herring, who's been very solid for? for he, where, where does he where does he rank against Baron? Like Scanlon should be looking to be captain of Munster on a lot of game days because he was a very good captain at under twenty level, and Ireland scrum was pretty good today because neither. 
Lockman nor Tommy O'Toole are particularly good scrummagers. Now, I'm not sure how good the Maori guys were, but like if you're playing away in New Zealand, that's something that's go going to go wrong for you. Like you're going to give away scrum penalties and you can see it with Dan Sheehan in for Ronan Keller. As good another rugby player as Sheehan is, he's not a, as good a scrummager and it's such a such a big thing for a hooker. I think Scandal is a good scrummager. Um, so I think Look, he might never play. He might never wear a green jersey again. But I, but he could have a few great days in a red jersey if he's the best Nile Scandal he can be. Mm. So we were looking. I, I, I was watching the game on a on a phone today. Uh, so not the greatest viewport. But my feeling was that the Maori continued to play the game. Uh, like a barbarians type of game, whereas the Irish played the game more like a test match. And while the Mary scored a couple of great runaway tries, fundamentally for Ireland, the game wasn't really in much danger. Yeah. We put pressure on their systems in particular, and we played a sensible territory game with good kicking and good chasing. And then when it's a scratch team, that kind of like counterattacking doesn't come off. If you, if you, if you make the first tackle, then they're kind of all, they're all at sea or they, they're, you know they're kind of making it up a little bit more than than we were. We were certainly more, much more patterned than them, mm. and um, yeah, I really paid off. I mean, it's it's funny in the during the first Mary game, someone texts me and goes, "These lads aren't great," and it, then we just conceded four tries in a row. <laughs> but like, you know, they weren't an awful lot better than they were today. It's just that we were an awful lot better, and like. They're they're actually they're a brilliant test. Um, they're a brilliant team to play on a tour, I think, because they are a scratch team. But it means so much to them because they're representing something that's so much more important than just like a tour game. So uh, you know, there isn't it, it perfectly fits in with the rugby tour ethos as well. Um, but you know, if you're if you were just playing, say, in the Wellington Hurricanes or something like that, then there'd be a bit of, the lads would be like, well, I'm not in the All Blacks. Yeah. You know? Uh, and, and that's sort of what it feels like in the midweek games now that the Lions has gotten to the stage it is, is like, oh, what's the fucking point, really? Like, these are just warm-ups rather than, like, a real tour feel. Whereas that a real tour feel? And I think, I think like, the Mary really appreciate the game. I think the Kiwis overall uh, uh, really love that Ireland came down and played five games against yeah. them. I, I think the tour so far, regardless of the results in the last test, has been. Well, it's very finely balanced. It's two yeah. all now. Yeah, it's been a one huge success. One game each, though. one test each. It's gone. It's gone so much better than I had anticipated, and now that's part partly to do with I think maybe the n- not not the not the All Blacks aren't as good as I thought, but to to have a really bad day out on tour and a midweek game and to learn from it and put up. Put so much right, like that stands to you so much. I agree. Like, and it's something that you said in a couple of the the the, the one we did after the first Mary game and the one we did before the tour is like the lads have to realize about being on tour, and it, it looks like they all have realized not just the, the second stringers they've all realized about being on tour. The, the like, and that's. What Farrell wants for them to prepare for, like being in France for mm. a month, you know. 
that, that's huge. That's huge, actually, because, um, you know, you always, being Irish, the quarterfinal glass ceiling always gets referred to. And when you see the the calibre of team that wins the World Cup, it'd be, it'd be very difficult for Ireland to win. Like, the closest team for Ireland to compare ourselves to is the 2007 Argentinian team. And there was one of their props, perhaps Roncero, perhaps Scalzo, was a magnificent singer. But you really got the impression with the Argentinians that they enjoyed each other's company in that 2007 World Cup. And that was a, that was a huge thing for them. And the fact that they absolutely hammered France in France to finish third was a magnificent finish for them because like, they, they couldn't beat the Springboks in the semi-final. Like, that, that was beyond their ability. But they could hammer the crap out of France playing really, really good rugby in France to finish third. And like you must take a lot of bronca if you're Argentinian on that team from that achievement. Um, huge amount of confidence, huge amount of great memories um, to just to play as well as you could play for that tournament. Because um, so. Again, like to, to, to return to an off-repeated phrase, like you don't need to be the best team. You need to be the best team at the tournament. You don't need to be the best team in the world. You need to be the best at the tournament. Like for those six or seven weeks, you need to hit form. Yeah. And um, being on a tour, as you're saying, like just, just being away, like being in hotels, traveling, um, like having to talk to each other, you know, like I, I think that was one of the things because I, I, I can only imagine it's got worse in the last 10 years. It was one of the things I remember Des when he was over in, geez, I think it was Georgia. He's just looking around and he's going like, all these guys are on their phone. Like this is what they spend their time doing, like taking pictures of shit and putting it on Instagram to <laughs> like, they completely ignore what's going on around them. And you're there yeah. going on with you today, but also at the same stage going, he's, he's totally right. Like, I mean, what sort of weird environment is that to exist in? Whereas if you're if you're there and you're present and like it, it sounds, Jesus, like it's very 2020s to sort of talk about like being present in it. But like this is what social media has led to is just like a plethora of articles talking about the importance of being present and forest bathing and like basically just put the fucking phone away and pay attention oh, to what you're doing. Yeah. Unless you listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, you know, put the earbuds on when you hear your family. Listen to this <laughs> terrible stuff. But look, it's big. It's big. Like it's it, practicing being on tour is is good practice for a World Cup, which is essentially a tour. There we go. Just to round it off, Omar Hassan was the prop. Correct. Yeah, it was an opera singer. He also he has a rugby career section and a music career section on his Wikipedia page. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There you go. Okie dokie. That's it. Wrap it up. Stuff. Only 90 minutes. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. Show you that I'm 
be back.